If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. there and welcome to episode 126 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, we're going to take a look at 12 trends disrupting the market for lifelong learning and continuing education. And these are trends that we actually wrote about some time ago, but we're finding that they are still disrupting the market for lifelong learning and continuing education, so they are worth revisiting. Before we get to those trends, though, we want to acknowledge our sponsor for the first quarter of 2018. We're happy to have Blue Sky eLearn sponsoring this quarter. Blue Sky is the maker of the PATH Learning Management System, an award-winning cloud-based learning solution that empowers your organization to maximize its message. Blue Sky eLearn also provides a range of virtual event and instructional services to help you maximize your content and create deeper engagement with your audience. To find out more about Blue Sky eLearn and all it has to offer, visit blueskyelearn.com. For our resource for this episode, we want to highlight a document that's a good complement to talking about trends, and that's 10 Critical Shifts in the Market for Lifelong Learning. And these shifts, which we documented a while back, um, they're a little bit more strategic and visionary, and we also talked about them in a podcast a while back. So in the show notes, what we're going to do is link to the downloadable document, 10 Critical Shifts in the Market for Lifelong Learning, and we're also going to link to that podcast episode. And again, these are kind of strategic and visionary in nature. The ones we're going to talk about, the trends that we're going to talk about in this episode, Episode are a little more, a little more tactical, a little bit more technological, and the two really go very well together. So, to get that ten critical shifts document and the link to the podcast, just go to the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com/episode126. Now. We were talking about shifts in the market. We're talking about trends in the market. I think we all know that just a a whole lot has gone on over the last uh, several years relative to this whole learning business that we're in. That's right. I think uh, a number of lifelong learning market trends have emerged over the past few years. And as you said at the outside, Jeff, we've talked about these kinds of trends before, but they're continuing to impact the market um, for learning. And so we want to talk about what we see as some of the biggest trends. We're going to talk about 12 of them, in fact. Um, I will say up front, though, that these are not ranked. That is, um, number one isn't more important or more prevalent than number two or number three or, or number 12, for that matter. The trends are going to have different degrees of importance and impact depending on your organization, your role there, your situation, your value. So again, these are just big trends that we see, the impact of these trends for your particular uh, situation and business are going to vary. But the first one we want to talk about is micro-learning. And um, there's increasing recognition that very often small is beautiful and, and small is practical when it comes to learning experiences. So many adults don't have the time or really the need to engage in an extended, formal uh, course kind of experience for a lot of the learning that they really want or need on a day-to-day basis. Um, And now we have uh, smartphones and web video and apps and other tools that actually make it really easy, easy to create micro learning and then of course to consume it or access it you know and so you can have 
really short uh, learning experiences, just a few seconds. Um, that might just be how long it takes to answer a quiz question, for example. Um, or it could be a little bit longer, you know, maybe up in the 15 to 20 minute range. Um, uh, and that might be, you know, the time to watch a, a video, for example. But all of those can be learning experiences. They can actually help someone do something that they, they need to do. And um, from our perspective, and I know a lot of other people as well, you know, the micro isn't so much about an actual amount of time or a specific length. It's really about boiling it down to kind of uh, one particular learning need and just providing content for that one learning need and nothing else around it, sort of no extraneous information. Well, and I like the fact that we addressed microlearning first, and I'll say we will link to some other resources related to microlearning in the show notes, so definitely uh, check out the show notes for this episode. But microlearning was a big focus at our recent uh, virtual conference, Learning Technology Design, and as it happens, the second item in our list is virtual conferences. And, you know, we've seen uh, growing interest and adoption of virtual conferences, uh, certainly in the association sector, though really it's been slower there than we had expected, but there's still a good solid third or so of organizations that are uh, actively pursuing virtual conferences. But we've seen the rise of uh, virtual conferences, summits, uh, online events of all sorts uh, in, in the commercial world as well, um, commercial training organizations, corporations who are holding these types uh, of events. Um, and, you know, we've got, uh, we've actually got some great interviews around this. We interviewed uh, Ariana Rahak uh, of Association Success recently, who's behind the Surge online conference. And Surge Spring is about to come up uh, soon, if you happen to be listening to uh, this podcast. Podcast at, the, at the time we're publishing it, and we'll link to that as well. So, you know, we don't think place-based conferences are, are likely to go away. People do like to show up face-to-face, but, you know, virtual conferences are just too attractive from a cost uh, perspective, a convenience perspective, and, and a logistics standpoint to not grow uh, dramatically in the coming years. You know, we're just, we're at a point where we're going to see a, a continued upswing uh, in these. And and this is another one where we'll, we'll post some additional resources. We do actually have a virtual events resource center over on the uh, Tagoras site. And uh, we'll link to that and to, and to some other items uh, as well. And before I get to the third trend, I just want to say too, I mean, you mentioned cost, convenience, um, and kind of simplified logistics all as, as reasons for virtual conferences. But one of the other main reasons, and one we particularly tried to embrace with Learning Technology Design 2018, which you mentioned, is just the, the potential benefit for learning, that it can actually align uh, better with how we know we learn. And so we could take um, more of an extended kind of format, which would allow some time for um, uh, space practice between sessions and that type of thing. So I think I just I just wanted to make sure we noted that. Exactly. Yes. Very good. Good note. <laughs> well, and I think this third trend also picks up on that idea of what can make for more effective learning, what can actually fit with um, what we know about how people learn, and that is the, the flipped classroom. And so the, the idea of the flipped classroom is that kind of core content can be um, presented and reviewed and digested outside of the classroom. Um, and, and class time, and I'm using that term class time, but really it can mean webinar time or um, session time at a conference. Um, but then that in-person together time can be used for deeper discussion, for collaborative learning, um, for, for things that really get more at application rather than kind of that lower level sort of um, information um, relay. And most of the buzz around the flipped classroom has been in the K through 12 sector, 
but it is an idea that really has clear implications for conferences, for seminars, for webinars, and other popular forms of, of learning that are used in the lifelong learning market. And as with the other trends that we've already covered, we again have some other resources uh, about the flipped classroom trend that we will make sure to put into the notes for this episode. So be sure to check out those notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 126. Now, the fourth trend um, is about neuroscience. And again, I've already sort of been hinting at some of that with with the last couple of trends. But really, over the past uh, couple of decades, we've learned more about how the human brain works. And so we know, uh, in a way that we never knew before, really what's happening at the neural level when we're learning. And so this knowledge is impacting how we think about teaching and learning. You have to be careful because there's plenty of of misinformation, misinterpretation, misapplication of, of neuroscience principles out there. But if you're careful, if you make sure that it's coming from a good source, if you really um, you know look for things that are uh, research based um, where studies have been done, um, then you're going to get some really proven, scientifically grounded ways to support your learners. And so it seems inevitable that education providers are, are going to get up to speed on on neuroscience, how the human mind works, and that that's going to have really great implications for the quality of the learning experiences that are being delivered. So that's number four, neuroscience. And number five is one that uh, actually I think helps to support neuroscience and what we know about how learning happens, and that is social learning. And social learning is not a new concept, but uh, you know, clearly the widespread use of social media has had an impact on social learning opportunities. And I'd, I'd say we've really reached what I'd call a uh, you're soaking in it point, for those of you who are old enough to remember the old Palmolive commercials with, uh, with Madge in them. People are actually employing a range of social connections and tools to support their learning without even thinking about it, really. And organizations, you know, increasingly have to think about how they can maintain a, a meaningful presence with, whether it's their customers or their members, personal learning networks. So they need to be showing up in those personal learning networks uh, and, and helping to facilitate them uh, and, and augment them. And, you know, they, they have an opportunity to help people think much more consciously and effectively about how to leverage social learning. Any learning business now has this opportunity. How do, how do we get people more conscious about it? How do we help, help facilitate it, make it more effective, be a part of it, basically? And uh, we do, again, have some resources on this one. In fact, we'll link specifically to our free uh, social learning in the association space uh, report uh, that we did a while back. Um, a great resource, again, free, and you'll be able to find that in the show notes for this episode. So the sixth trend we want to touch on uh, are MOOCs, and uh, maybe some of the wind has gone out of the sails of the massive open online course or MOOC movement, but we think that MOOCs are still a force to be reckoned with. Whether they're going to continue to be called MOOCs over time, I think that remains to be seen, but some form of, of massive online courses seems almost bound to be a permanent part of the educational landscape. And, and for many organizations, MOOCs um, could represent a way to effectively um, serve their broader market and to also kind of attract um, prospects. And if you happen to be an association, attract new members to you. Um, and so I think there's a lot to be learned in terms of what that massive and that sort of broad appeal could potentially do for your organization. 
And in the show notes, we're going to link to um, a, a report that we did around um, uh, that touches on MOOCs. It touches actually on one of um, the the earlier trends we mentioned as well. It touches on flipping or the flipped classroom. So it's uh, called Exploring the Fringe, Flipping, Micro-Credentials, and MOOCs. Um, and so we'll make sure to link to that. Um, we also... Um, had the chance to talk with Barb Oakley, who's behind um, arguably the most popular MOOC um, in existence, the Learning How to Learn MOOC on Coursera. So we'll make sure to link to that past podcast episode. And, and she definitely didn't have any wind go out of her sale. She has, is it 2 million or I can't remember how many? Uh... It's millions and millions. I can't recall off uh, the top of my head. And, you know, even if I could, it would be from that moment in time because the enrollments continue to to just keep coming in. So it seems like they have not yet hit sort of a saturation point in the market with that learning how to learn MOOC. Keeps going. Yeah, go, go Barb. It does my heart good to know that there are that many people who want to learn to learn as, as she's teaching them to do. And uh, this brings us to number seven. And um, we've already actually just mentioned one instance of this with MOOCs, but number seven is open education. And uh, MOOCs are are one part of this, massive open online courses, as they're supposed to be. Um, But the trend is is really much broader than that. And it was was really building steam long before it started making, you know, headlines with Coursera and and edX and that sort of thing. In fact, I wrote about this. Gosh, uh, it's been a decade ago now on, on Mission to Learn, and we'll, um, uh, we'll link to that. So, you know, open in the pure sense of the word uh, doesn't just mean free, uh, though free is usually a, a part of this. Um, it means allowing for, you know, being able to change the content, add to it, redistribute it, uh, and, and used wisely, it can, it can really be a powerful tool for spreading knowledge and, you know, creating real educational impact in, in your market. And uh, um, this is actually going to dovetail with the, uh, the the next item we'll bring up here. But, uh, you know, giving away content that people can then reuse in, in different ways uh, can be a very powerful way to reach more of your market, to have more impact in your market, and, and can ultimately be a path to generating revenue as, as you build the momentum that we talk about in, in our value ramp. So open education, um, still out there, still growing, lots of open educational resources available. Just uh, Google the term and you will find a wealth of, uh, of resources that are available. So that was number seven, open education. Number eight, is content marketing. And, um, you know, even more than open education, the concept of content marketing has really shaken up the market for for learning and knowledge. I mean, the whole idea behind content marketing is that you give away valuable content in order to attract prospects to your paid offerings. And, you know, guess what? The, The vast majority of content marketing is educational content marketing or learning marketing, uh, as we call it, uh, you know, and the folks over at Copyblogger got this concept years ago. I remember when they started a course called Teaching Sales that was uh, uh, very, very successful. I think they may still uh, run that course, but they're certainly still promoting that idea that when you teach somebody, that's a very valuable way to actually sell. So, you know, if you aren't using teaching as a, as a part of your selling, there's a good chance that you aren't selling as much as you could be. So definitely tune into the the content marketing trend to the extent that you haven't already. That's number eight. Number nine is alternative credentialing. 
And so, you know, this is based on the idea that degrees have traditionally been the, the standard of higher education and certification has been the standard of continuing ed- education. But, you know, certificates uh, are playing a larger and larger role. And then with the emergence of standard-based certificate programs, you can expect that, you know, the growth of those to uh, to continue. And at the same time, of course, we're seeing that that other buzzword that's uh, that we're going to blanket under alternative credentialing, and that's badges. Um, you know, and you can find out about that, or you see examples of that in Mozilla's Open Badges project. Um, and, and, you know, those are just getting more and more traction as a form of validation that just really makes tremendous sense in the, you know, really open and social and informal learning world in, in which we uh, live these days. And we've actually done, uh, you know, some interviews related to digital badging. We'll make sure that we link to those. Um, the report that you mentioned earlier, uh, Salisa, Exploring the Fringe, we talk about uh, digital badging in that. Um, so uh, we'll make sure that we link to, to all of those resources because there's just a, a lot going on in terms of uh, that alternate uh, alternative credentialing world right now. Yeah, we also have a couple previous podcast episodes around ABCs or um, assessment-based certificates. So that sort of particular breed um, that, again, really gives some some legs and sort of some some heft to a certificate. You know, not, not as full-blown and not as sort of... Uh, broad in scope as a certification, but a way of really approaching, um, um, and it's an alternative path to credentialing, which is exactly what this heading is. So the 10th the trend we want to talk about is do-it-yourself or self-directed learning. Another label we could put on this is the empowered learner. And so I think a lot of what we've already been talking about has created um, an environment where learners have um, more and more options available to them when it comes to um, learning. And um, at the same time, that is a real boon. There are all these options. It can also be overwhelming and, and even confusing. Um, and so the average adult tends not to actually be prepared to kind of deal in this sort of um, somewhat chaotic uh, world where we have so many choices. And so um, I think organizations that can play that role of curator, where they can help kind of filter out um, the the noise and focus their learners on the most important bits of information, that's going to be incredibly uh, important. And we also need to um, help support our learners in learning how to learn. That gets back to the, the barb Oakley MOOC we were talking about before, but this idea of what tools and techniques, what mindset can we help give uh, the learners that we serve so that they actually come in uh, better equipped to actually get the value out of what we're teaching them. And then two, you know, when we're not in the the teaching role, when we're not in the provider of education role, um, we have to embrace our own responsibility as learners. And so again, kind of um, carrying that own that mindset on our own and then helping to foster that in the learners that we serve. So, you know, I think this is a an area where there's a lot of of potential and if you can really help those learners, you're going to be that much more valuable. You're going to stand out that much more from from all the other options that they have. So that's number 10, the whole uh, do it yourself self-directed learning movement and then kind of a, a complement to that on the uh, on the provider side on the subject matter expert side is uh, number 11 which is self publishing and 
you know, by publishing, we don't just mean books, though certainly it seems at times that the world of traditional book publishing is, uh, well, certainly changing. It seems on the, on the brink of collapse at times. But really, you know, we mean all the possibilities for creating and distributing content that are available these days. And, you know, that's from, from WordPress to, you know, CreateSpace, the, the self-publishing arm of, uh, of Amazon, to, to YouTube, to Twitter, to iTunes. I mean, you, you name it, you know, and the, and the opportunity for these new new tools to, you know, help ambitious subject matter entrepreneurs or ambitious curators or pretty much anyone else interested in, in teaching and learning are, are just tremendous. And they also, you know, they lay the groundwork for new business models. We've talked before and written before about what we call the market maker business model. We'll link to uh, an article on that. And that's been embraced by companies like, for example, Udemy, uh, which is essentially becoming like the Amazon.com of uh, self-publishing for courses. So, you know, subject matter experts can go there and get the tools that they need to be able to create online courses and a marketplace uh, to to put those courses into to, to sell them. So, you know, you combine all of this with the, the whole do-it-yourself, DIY, self-directed learning phenomenon that, uh, that you were just talking about, Salisa, and really the playing field is just fundamentally altered. And, and we've, been, we've been feeling that for a while, and we're continuing uh, to feel that. And, uh, you know, we'll say as a side that we also happen to think that um, the podcast as a form of publishing are, are, are a particularly excellent medium and, and something that everybody should be, you know, subscribing to on a regular basis. And that is, uh, of course, purely unbiased uh, uh, data that you're drawing on for that assessment. And speaking of data, the 12th uh, trend that we wanted to highlight is big data. So, you know, maybe you're tired of hearing this phrase, but, you know, nonetheless, it's really important, you know, just uh, across the, the world, across society, we are collectively generating a huge amount of data about um, what we do, what we like, what we buy. And um, on the one end of the spectrum, we have organizations who are increasingly in a position, whether they fully realize it or make use of it yet or not, but they're really well positioned to mine that data and then to be able to find out, you know, um, what's popular um, and what should they be providing to their learners, um, what's going to be important um, down the pike for their learners, what's actually having impact. Um, So there's a lot of potential there for learning organizations to mine that data, to make use of that data, to refine what they're already offering, to determine new products, new markets, and to be able to demonstrate the impact of what they're offering. Now, on the other side, you have the individual learner. And so then you have um, this, this big data that creates these the possibility for tools that can help you kind of manipulate and, and navigate and focus your data so that you're going to get kind of increasingly focused in on what's most appropriate for you, what's what's the learning that, that you really need to find. So I, I think there's a lot of potential um, in just the sheer volume of data that's being generated, but I think there's still a lot of kind of um, fumbling around as, as both organizations and individuals try to figure out how to kind of uh, be in control or harness the data that is out there. But I think it's uh, something that we're going to see increasing uh, activity around in the, the coming years. Definitely. Uh, you know, we're already seeing so much of this happen. Well, in marketing in general, certainly in politics, mm. uh, this has become a, a very big thing. Um, and, you know, learning analytics has still been a little bit too much of a niche, I think, uh, in, in the learning world. But uh, 
it's just like as with all of these trends, it's just bound to, to be uh, to be something that's going to take off uh, in the coming years, just because of the the sheer value that's in it for everybody involved. So that was number twelve, uh, big data, and um, you know we said twelve trends, but uh, you know we decided we should make this a baker's dozen, really, and uh, add a thirteenth, and, and this thirteenth is really what we see as one mega trend to rule them all when it comes to lifelong learning market trends. And we'll sum this up as lifelong, life-wide. We're living longer and longer. We live in the context of a global learning economy that requires us to constantly update, retool, rethink, and relearn. At the same time, you know, we don't march through our lifelong learning as if it's a, a narrow, you know, straight shot curriculum. We're touched by learning broadly throughout our daily lives, through any number of informal interactions with other people, through our own focused, self-directed efforts, and yes, by the, the formal experiences that uh, we associate with traditional education. And, you know, everything that we've mentioned uh, throughout this episode really makes this truer than ever. Learning happens in myriad ways through and throughout our lives. And, you know, the smartest learning businesses recognize this and they make sure they provide experiences and content that really evolve with the learner. They're making sure that they, you know, they build a platform. So you can, you know, I just mentioned politics. You can think in terms of a political platform, not just a, you know, a technology platform. So it's more than technology. It's something that enables them to, you know, connect with learners in many different ways through many different channels, formally, informally, paid, free, online, offline. And by doing this, they become a trusted source of learning lifelong and life wide. So that's that's the the one mega trend to to rule the other 12 that uh that we've been talking about here. So that wraps up our look at trends disrupting still the market for lifelong learning. To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com/episode126. And while you're there, you're going to see a link to get the 10 critical shifts in the market for lifelong learning. That's the resource we mentioned at the outset. And we think it's a really nice complement to these trends that we've been discussing in today's episode. And we've also mentioned a lot of other resources throughout the episode. Uh, the show notes for this one are, are, are chock full of links. So you're definitely going to want to go to, uh, to get those show notes while you're there at the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 126. You're also going to see the various options for subscribing. And if you are getting value out of what you hear on the podcast and you're not subscribed yet, we'd be truly grateful if you would subscribe. We'd also be grateful if you would take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. To do that, go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. That will put you in the right place. We would appreciate a rating. And not only does it feel good uh, to us to hear that um, we're having an impact on you, but it helps others who are interested in the market of lifelong learning find this podcast. And we'd be grateful if you'd take a minute to visit our sponsor for this quarter, Blue Sky eLearn. We put a lot of work into producing and delivering leading learning. Hopefully that shows. And, you know, one of the key reasons we're able to do it is because of the support of sponsors like Blue Sky. So please visit them at blueskyelearn.com. In addition to finding out about their services, you'll also find a variety of great resources that they offer for free. Remember that content marketing trend that we discussed. 
We also hope you'll tell others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet simply by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. Or if tweeting isn't your thing, you can pick another social network of your preference and spread the good word that way. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.